Hey everyone, welcome to uh, the stream. I'm uh, very pleased to be uh, joined today for this Dojo Talks Mental Fatigue um, with, first of all, uh, Dr. Benjamin uh, Porto, who actually has been on the podcast uh, before. Uh, we did an interview with uh, Benji about uh, performance coaching that's still on the podcast. Uh, it was a really, really interesting interview about uh, chess and mental and, and physical performance and um, just to kind of intro, uh, introduce the topic, uh, a few weeks ago, Benji reached out to me and said he wanted to interview um, our other guest, uh, Dr. Yaron uh, uh, Van Kutsum. Welcome, welcome to the show. Um, about uh, a topic that Yaron uh, is an expert on, which is mental fatigue. Um, so Benji, let me throw it to you. Maybe you could introduce the topic and discuss why you wanted to uh, do a show on it. Yes, thank you very much. Um, well, I got in touch with uh, with Yvonne, uh, maybe um, about a year ago, and uh, he's been uh, um, uh, really generous with uh, sharing his knowledge and um, and research paper. And I thought it'd be uh, fantastic to to know a little bit more about uh, mental fatigue and and to hear directly from him, and especially you know um, in the context um, uh, of chess. So Yeroen uh, was very uh, uh, gracious to to accept to, uh, to to come on the dojo, and uh, and thanks to you, Kostya, to um, uh, to let me uh, let me co-host. Um, so maybe Yeroen, uh, maybe you want to introduce yourself uh, to to our audience and and tell us a little bit about your background. Yes, for sure. So uh, hi all. Um, Nice to be here and uh, very nice to invite me, uh, Kostya and, and Benjamin. I'm glad to be here. Uh, my name is Yeruva Kitsum and uh, I actually studied physiotherapy. So I'm a physical therapist, um, but then eventually uh, research uh, interested me in such a way that uh, I uh, started a, a PhD at the Free University of Brussels. Uh, and within that PhD, my research topic was mental fatigue and physical performance um, and actually yeah, the, the the research was done within an, uh, an exercise physiology lab. So the focus of my research and the outcome uh, variables that we included are yeah uh, very much uh, yeah coming from within that area of, of research, let's say. Uh, and then we we tried to uh, yeah to set up a bridge between the, the psychological research on mental fatigue and physical performance, and then go more towards the physiological research on mental fatigue and physical performance. So that's a little bit the bridge that we wanted to make with my uh, PhD. And then um, after four years or five years, I uh, defended uh, successfully my PhD. And now I'm still in research, but not at uh, university anymore. I'm, uh, I'm still affiliated with it, but uh, my main job is now within Belgian defense, where I uh, am looking not only um, into mental fatigue, uh, but... Um, I broadened it a little bit, let's say, uh, looking at fatigue uh, and the impact of fatigue on performance, and also looking at uh, the role of sleep within, uh, yeah, within performance. Uh, and yeah, the end goal of, of the research project within Belgian defense now is actually to to optimize performance, of course, uh, and uh, and to provide individualized feedback to them. Uh, that's uh, that's my background currently. Uh, so I'm still uh, into research uh, up to date. Fantastic, yeah, very, uh, uh, very relevant topics um, for um, you know uh, whether it's it's performance uh, 
in in the defense context or for like uh, I guess um, uh, mental performers like uh, like chess player and especially you know um, we have question for the interplay between the the, the physical and the mental um, the mental part. Um, so to to illustrate a little bit um, uh, the uh, how chess is uh, an endurance effort. Um, um, I have like a couple of um, of uh, graphs uh, that I've prepared. So uh, maybe uh, Kostya, you want to uh, bring them up on your um, on screen, or should I share my screen? Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, here we go. I have the the first slide up here. Yeah. So um, yeah, basically, I call them like um, uh, endurance performance plots, and. Um, it's it's basically for uh, a player. So I mean, uh, that first slide is like for, uh, for example, uh, Alisa Fiorja. Uh, these are all these games for the Grand Swiss, and as a function of time, because we've got like the timestamps on the PGN, um, I convert the engine evaluation to a probability of winning, and then to uh, an ELO uh, gain or loss. So uh, apologies for the people that are uh, listening to the podcast. Um, uh, feel free to like check the, the show notes. Uh, maybe we'll put a link or like check the, the YouTube video afterwards. Um, and, and basically uh, this shows like how game on average evolve like as a function of time to see, okay, is, is a player like, uh, um, you know, doing well in the first hour of play, in the second hour of play or like in the third hour of play and so on. Um, and, uh, well, we can see like Ali Reza has just like, uh, absolutely been, uh, uh, crushing the, the Grand Swiss. Um, but if we go to the second slide, um, Sorry, so Benji, if I could just, yeah. uh, understand this chart myself. So basically this is showing, this is showing Ali Reza's performance from the, the, the Grand Swiss, um, uh -huh. that he won kind of like, uh, throughout the game, what the mm -hmm. engine eval was, or let's say yeah. his chances of winning. And based on his numbers here, I'm just looking at the blue line, which is just kind of the total yeah. of his white and black games. It seems like just the longer the game goes, the more likely he is to win. Is that right? Because it's just kind of slowly like staircasing upwards. Correct. Um, and and uh, one point to realize is that um, it's, um, it's not starting at zero. It starts from minus 10 because it's what would happen if... Uh, all the games were ending, you know, from the start position. And because it's like so much, uh, uh, it's like, you know, uh, quite a bit more uh, higher rated than his opponent. Um, right. You know, if he were to stop in the start position, uh, he would have lost, you know, by drawing everything would have lost like 10 ELO points, right? Yeah, um, yeah that's but, quite logical. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but clearly as the game goes on, he just like, you know, uh, um, I guess like his his his, his position gets uh, uh, slightly better and better and better and better and uh, um, it shows like you know up to the fourth hour, uh, absolutely uh, absolutely no uh, no letting up. But I imagine for other players, they're maybe like dropping off as the game goes longer. Is, yeah. Right? So um, yeah, exactly. If we um, if you show like the 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 second slide, there's like um, two plots. Yeah, let me... Um, uh, by the way, I don't know if Jerwen can see the, these. Yeah, um, I wanted to indicate it. I, I don't see the slides uh, at this time, but it doesn't matter that much. But uh, it would be good if I could also see them. Oh, sorry. I thought Benji would, would have uh, shared them with you. My bad. 
um, you can I think see it's, them it's on stream if you uh, if you want. I can um, share with you. And you link. maybe in, in the chat. Yeah. 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 I'll send it in um, in the Zoom chat. Perfect. You'll just have to make sure to to mute it uh, on your end. Yes, I'll do. Keep on going, I would say. Meanwhile, I'll, yeah. uh, I'll set it up. Yeah, so um, these two plots, uh, so um, yeah, I've, I've, I've kept these two, uh, these two player nameless. I mean, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no benefit in, uh, in, in, uh, in uh, singling them out. Um, it, it basically shows that they're doing great for like two and a half, three hours. And, and basically, after like about three hours, this is where like the um, the performance really uh, really gets worse. Oh, so yeah, there's um, like a, a drastic drop off around the three hour mark in terms yeah. of like the so that indicates they're like I guess starting to like make more mistakes at this point. Yeah, uh, uh, it's likely. Um, of course, you know, uh, the, the eval doesn't tell you how easy the position was to play. And there's like, you know, quite a few considerations like this. But still, it's it's quite striking that some players tend to, you know, it's not like um, uh, the, the mistake is really done um, after uh, after quite some time. Um, so... Uh, yeah, these these two these two uh, these two players. Um, that's they are like quite good examples of like uh, uh, I'd say like a deficit in uh, in uh, in uh, in endurance, so to speak. Right, right. I also wonder if this would have to would be related with like uh, time trouble. Like I don't remember what the time control was, but if maybe this is around when they're reaching the first time control, then I can see there there would be like more mistakes. But then the the chart continues to go like kind of down and down as the game progresses. So I definitely see what you're saying in terms of like the endurance. I mean, it feels like it's kind of dropping off. Yeah, this is like the total game time. So it, it takes into account like the opponent's clock as well. So you can't see you can't see on this graph if they were in time trouble. But like, yeah, that's something that um, that's very much. Um, very much uh, uh, possible. Yeah. So, so yeah, um, very relevant to chess players. <laughs> this topic. So so um, yeah, uh, Yaron, it's it's um, the 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 task that a chess player have to to face is that really um, uh, classical games. So what we call classical game, which is like the the slowest time control where players can really take the time to think. Uh, it can easily be five or six hours. So, um, and of course, the, in chess, like one single mistake, uh, it just can 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 ruin like all the the good work that uh, that uh, you've done uh, um, uh, that the player has done uh, previously. Um, so, it, it's really, I think, uh, personally, I think it's really important to understand what is mental fatigue first of all, and and how to improve it as well, and I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of confusion, um, and and so this is why we are we are, we are happy to um, to to have you on today. Um, so I guess uh, to start with, um, 
I'd like to ask you about um, maybe explain like the main uh, uh, model of um, uh, uh, the, the psychobiological model of uh, performance endurance and like um, things like why is something like the perception of effort um, uh, that's something that limits the the, the endurance of uh, of someone. Yeah, yeah. Let's start with that. But first of all, I think it's indeed a very relevant uh, topic for for chess players. Like you say, if, if if players have to go on for five to six hours, really hard cognitive work, and every decision is an important one, then I think mental fatigue is a yeah very important topic and and will surely be related to performance and eventual winning or eventually winning or losing a game. Um, from within my research, yeah. Maybe it's it's good to first give the definition of mental fatigue that we use. So we define mental fatigue as a psychobiological state, which already indicates the psycholo psychological component of mental fatigue as well as the biological component. So it's those two combined, the psychobiological state, and it's also a state. So that's also already indicates that it's, it's something that doesn't last forever, of course. It's not that once you're mentally fatigued that you stay mentally fatigued for yeah, an entire uh, period. Uh, so it's something that can come and go. Um, and then afterwards, the definition goes further in, in terms of, so it's a psychobiological state that is induced by a prolonged mental or cognitive exertion. Um, but mental or cognitive exertion can also occur during a physical task, for example. Because, for example, while playing a game of soccer, the players also need uh, to make decisions in terms of who am I going to pass to, where, are, where is my opponent, where are my uh, fellow players. So they also need to do their cognitive work. So mental fatigue is not something that solely arises during uh, yeah, tasks while sitting at the computer, for example, but it also arises during physical tasks. Um, and then, yeah, like I said, I did my PhD in an exercise physiology lab. So there we started from the point, okay, endurance performance, what are now the, the main mediators that eventually decide uh, how good you are at an endurance performance task? And then um, one of my promoters called Samuele Marcora, uh, which is actually a little bit the founder of the mental fatigue topic within, uh, within sport performance, let's say, um, yeah, came up with the psychobiological model of endurance performance. And one very important uh, mediator of endurance performance that he uh, put forward within that model is actually the, uh, the perception of effort. Uh, because, yeah, throughout the years, the focus of, 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 uh, of factors that play a role within endurance performance and that eventually decide whether you are good uh, or whether your performance is good or bad, um, yeah, has, has, has shifted from peripheral factors such as uh, uh, yeah, the, the increase in metabolites within your uh, peripheral um, yeah, area, within your muscles, so the, the rise in blood lactate, for example. Um, but yeah, also central factors have been brought forward to eventually uh, yeah, be the decisive factor whether to stop or not with a certain kind of physical task. And then eventually in 2009, he did a study where he showed that a 90-minute uh, cognitive task, uh, which was the AXCPT, it's just a, a, a normal task to use in research, let's say, um, in which you have to indicate when an A is followed by an X, and then you need to push the button. And this you have to do for 90 minutes. So it's quite a long task, uh, surely because it's not that... Um, 
yeah, um, engaging. Um, they have to do that for 90 minutes and then they performed a time to exhaustion task on a cycle or on a bicycle. Um, and then the other time they had to come back a second time and then they didn't do the 90 minute AXCPT, but they, they watched the documentary for 90 minutes. So that's actually the control situation in which participants don't get mentally fatigued. And then they had to do the exact same uh, physical task. So again, the time to exhaustion. And what he saw was that uh, after the AXCPT, so when they were supposed to be mentally fatigued, they performed far less good compared to after the control task, so after watching a documentary. And during the time to exhaustion task, he followed up all physiological parameters that uh, usually are associated with induced performance. So, for example, the cardiac output that you have, uh, your heart rate, your blood pressure, um, all factors that are for sure important for endurance performance, but those factors didn't differ between those two situations, so couldn't explain why uh, uh, in the control situation they were able to perform better compared to the mentally fatigued situation. The only difference between the two situations eventually was the perception of effort, and, and that's actually the start of the mental fatigue research in physical performance literature. Um, so to say that the the mental fatigue eventually resulted in uh, perceiving a kind of wattage, so a, a similar kind of physical task as more effortful uh, when you're mentally fatigued compared to when you're not. Um, and from there on, actually, the, the, the search started to explain why uh, a certain task could feel more effortful, effortful uh, when you're mentally fatigued compared to when you're not. And of course, those insights could also be implemented or, or be valuable for chess players because once you know why and how something feels effortful, uh, then of course you could try to counteract that effortful feeling um, in order to improve your own performance and hopefully don't get that drop in performance after three hours of, uh, of performance and keep on top of your game or keep on top of it as, as good as possible. Um, so I hope uh, with that I, I've uh, answered your question uh, a little bit. That, actually, it's very very interesting um, in terms of the uh, like yeah perceived effort and kind of just affecting your um, your like energy and your performance. Um, Benji, people had a couple questions about this uh, chart that we have mm -hmm. um, up. So uh, could you clarify the ELO numbers on the left side, like where it says minus 10, minus 20? Um, how exactly, what exactly do these mean? So um, what's uh, in this graph, I, I, um, it's added up all the games of one tournament, right? So in a sense, the, the final number of the curve is uh, the final player's uh, uh, total gain of ELO uh, for uh, all of the games in that tournament, right? So it's cumulative, um, and and I I I I I go from like uh, the eval to a probability of winning to uh, any low uh, gain or loss uh, according to um, you know the opposition uh, uh, numbers. So um, uh, this is this is why like if you if you play like a player of your rating, they will start at zero. Right, because draw doesn't like uh, gain you elo, and that's why, like in the case of Valireza, they they uh, they started like minus ten because if it drawn all these games in the Grand Swiss, it it, it would have lost ten rating points. Mm -hmm. And and so like, well, let's say um, 
at a certain point, you know, the evaluation is like something like minus one or minus two. How would you calculate that? How would you translate that into like ELO gain or loss? Um, yeah, there's a transform. Uh, I, I just do a simple transform from like eval to probability of winning. Um, and um, I could post like the exact uh, functional form in the show notes, but uh, it, it's just uh, nothing fancy. It's like a, a, a regular sigmoid transformation. Um, I could also uh, have used, um, you know, uh, the probability of winning directly given by uh, a neural engine, neural net. Uh, engines, um, yeah. because they. Uh, but um, you know, it's it's um it's it's a good proxy uh, for. Um, so, like, if a player has like a seventy percent chance of losing or something, according to the eval, then hmm. they would have some kind of minus on their elo for that game, and then you're just yeah. adding up all nine or eleven games yeah. of the the Grand Swiss. By the way, um, Lee Chess does some kind of transformation like this to tell you like your inaccuracies, blunders, and uh, mistakes, because um, it's done in like probability of winning space. So they take the eval, uh, uh, do this like simple transform. And I, I think I use the same as the, the Lee Chess one. Okay, okay, cool. Because if, if, the, if your eval, uh, you know, a uh, hundred centipone loss when you're like at zero versus when you're at like minus five is not the same, right? So the transformation takes care of this. Gotcha. I mean, basically what the chart is showing is just like as the game goes longer, the player's performance gets worse and more, they're more likely to lose the game and they're more likely to lose lose rating uh, because of that. Um, okay, cool. So, um, yeah, Joanne, it's... I think everybody understands that um, you know if you if you go out for your uh, 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 for a run, um, yeah, it feels effortful, and and um, after half an hour, it feels more effortful than um, at the beginning. Um, I'd like to ask you if um, the perception of effort is uh, a limiting factor for something that would be purely mental, like like uh, playing chess. Very interesting question. I'll pick that up once I've come back from my child because she's awake now. But <laughs> in two minutes, I'll come back. No, yeah, yeah, sorry, no problem. No problem. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, this will give us uh, time to answer some residual questions about the chart because I think some people might might still be confused, specifically Jesse. <laughs> so, still confused, um, but. I, I think it makes sense. I mean, basically, it's just like taking the probability of the game ending a certain way and then uh, calculating the ELO loss mm -hmm. or or gain from that. Yeah. Um, like if we look at Ali Reza's chart, he seems like was actually just going up and up the longer the game went on, meaning the longer the game, the more likely he was to win and uh, and pick up rating points. I mean, it's only like minus 10 to plus 10, but I mean, for 2,800, 10 points is, is quite a lot, I think. <laughs> quite a serious, serious game. Yeah, if Jesse has PGNs with um, with timestamps, I'm happy to, to uh, produce these plots for him. Oh, that'd be interesting. <laughs> 
apologies. No problem. All right. Um, so whether a perception of effort could also be uh, a deciding factor actually for uh, performance in a, in a mental task was, uh, was the question. Um, so let me start off actually from then, of course, after that it was found that perception of effort per se was the only uh, deferring uh, factor that could explain why uh, mentally fatigued uh, individuals were less able to perform uh, compared to non-mentally fatigued individuals. The question was, okay, how is this perception of effort actually generated? And that might also give us insight into whether it could play a role within just a cognitive task as well. So that discussion actually resolves around a couple of uh, hypotheses or assumptions, because up to date, it's not yet yeah, clearly known what actually is now the mechanism behind the generation of the perception of effort. Sometimes, um, or some people assume or have hypothesized that actually it's, uh, it's generated on feedback from our periphery. So from our, uh, the, the state of the heart, the state of the muscles, those organs and, 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 and uh, yeah. uh, our body gives feedback to our brain and that feedback is actually then yeah, used to compute the perception of effort. Um, another hypothesis or assumption is that the, the, the signal that your brain gives to your muscle is the signal that your muscle needs to contract while cycling. And that signal and the degree or the, the amplitude of that signal could also be used in order to generate the perception of effort before that signal is even sent out of the brain. So it's actually something like the signal starts from your brain, goes to your muscle. Um, and meanwhile, or at the same time, a copy of that signal also goes to your some of the sensory areas of the brain in order to give you a perception of effort. So actually, the, the perception of effort is, is directly related to the, the amplitude of the signal that goes from your brain to your muscle and that says you need to contract now. So those are actually the two main hypotheses uh, that are currently uh, in play. And yeah, we still do not know for sure which one it is now, but there are some clear indications that it might be the second one so that it is a, a corollary discharge or a copy, actually, of that uh, signal that leaves the brain to your muscle in order to, uh, to contract the muscle. Having said that, and coming back to your question, could perceptual effort play a role within cognitive tasks? I would say yes, because a cognitive task, just like a physical task, can also feel effortful. And then, of course, the generation of perception of effort would not be related towards how effortful it is to displace or replace uh, one of the of the chess pieces, uh, because that's not the the you know, the main limiting factor of someone who is performing or playing a chess game. Um, but then the the perception of effort would be generated to 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 other stuff such as, for example, the computations that you need to make before making your decision on on which play you would uh, you would eventually uh, make. But I think if you ask a chess player that uh, whether he perceives effort while playing a game, I think they would answer yes. Um, and with that, I also think that it's clear that perception of effort would play a role or could play a role within uh, somebody's or a chess player's performance. Yeah, I would say a lot of it would depend also on how much I like my position. It seems like if I dislike my position, then 
spending more time is going to be is going to feel like more of a challenge like and, and trying to uh, find some some kind of uh, defense uh, and if I enjoy my position, then it feels like I'm not even working. I'm just like, oh, this is great. I have this move. I have this move. Like, uh, I'm happy to just sit there and think for much longer. So I feel like... Yeah, for sure. Effort is also a feeling or, or a perception that is, uh, yeah, that is highly influenced by the enjoyment that you have within, within the task. If, if you get something back from the task that you're doing, then uh, even a stupid task might not feel effortful at all or also not just a game of, of six hours. If you're enjoying it, then everything, you're in the flow and you will, uh, you will not perceive that, that same effort as hard as when you're losing, like like Chai is uh, saying. So I completely agree with, uh, with the point you're making. Fantastic. Um, that's, that's fascinating, by the way, this two um, hypotheses and the fact that uh, it could be not just from muscles to your brain, but brain to the muscle. And then like the brain having like a copy of like, Hey, there's like, we're going to do effort there. That's just an absolutely fascinating thing. Um, yeah. You, you mentioned a, a little bit when um, uh, you describe, you uh, described the, um, uh, the model. Um, but so is it done in, pr in practice that you can use mental fatigue uh with the aim of uh, improving your physical endurance by being like doing workouts by being pre like mentally fatigued or something like this yeah of course the aim of, of all this research is eventually or one of the aims is eventually to improve the physical performance by providing countermeasures towards uh, mental fatigue um, and within that topic, actually, uh, I can indicate that we recently got a new uh, study uh, accepted within sports medicine uh, that, that covers this topic uh, quite neatly. Uh, and that is entitled How to Tackle Mental Fatigue. Uh, and that gives some insights in the possible countermeasures that have been evaluated up to date. And this it's a review of the available literature and it's not only uh, applied to to physical tasks it's also applied to to cognitive performance so it might be a valuable one to check out for uh, yeah for everyone who, who wants to um, and within that review we actually made the distinction between uh, more behavioral kind of, of uh, countermeasures physiological uh, type of countermeasures and psychological types of countermeasures um, and of course, there are multiple ways in, in which you can eventually try and, and counteract mental fatigue. But within that review, we only focused on countermeasures that could be applied within seven days of the moment when you would expect that you would get mentally fatigued and when you would like to be more uh, resistant to mental fatigue. Um, and within the review, yeah, the most uh, valuable countermeasures up to date or almost... Uh, confirmed ones or uh, things like uh, like Kostya actually already indicated so motivation uh, getting motivated uh, while performing a task is a highly uh, important factor in terms of uh, perceiving something as mentally fatiguing or not um, odors so just having something to smell and, and actually trigger your brain uh, are also found to be uh, yeah important or, or uh, good to impact mental fatigue in a, in a positive way and to postpone it. Um, mouth rinses have also been found to be uh, positive in, in that sense. Um, and behaviorally, yeah, taking a break 
or a power nap uh, have also been found to uh, to have positive effects. Uh, what on was that. that last one? I'm sorry, Ron. Before um, behavior, uh, mouth rinsing. So it's it's uh, rinsing your mouth huh. with uh-huh. a kind of substance. Um, and yeah, for example, I did a study on that as well. Um, in 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 that study, we evaluated a, a caffeine uh, maltodextrin mouth rinse. So yeah, the, the substance that they had to rinse their mouth with was mainly uh, bitter. Um, and the aim actually was, yeah, it's already known that when you rinse your mouth, um, your brain activity is affected by it. And with that study, we actually wanted to look at, okay, if we are able to provide an intervention of which we know that it will impact brain activity, then we can check out whether that influence on the brain activity eventually also results in a positive impact on mental fatigue and the impact of mental fatigue on performance. So with that caffeine mountains, we were eventually able to, to impact um, the brain activity during a Stroop uh, task, which is also a kind of cognitive task that is uh, uh, frequently used within research. And you actually get words presented. The words are blue, yellow, green, and red. And they're also always colored, the letters of the words in a specific color. And uh, in our task, it was, also, it was always another color than the meaning of the word. And for the words yellow, uh, green, and blue, They had to indicate uh, the meaning of the word, while when the color of the word was red, then they had didn't have to indicate the meaning of the word, but they had to indicate the the, the color of the letters. So there was there were some different rules within the task. It was also 90 minutes, um, and then yeah, we measured brain activity with electroencephalography, which is a technique in which you place uh, 32 electrodes on the head. And then you can follow up actually brain activity during a cognitive task. And when you measure measure that brain activity, you have specific types of, of brain activity that you see when a stimulus is presented. So we know, okay, at a specific time, a specific word is presented on screen for the participant. And then we can follow up the brain activity that follows on the presentation of that stimulus. And Specific features are, for example, the P300 amplitude. And uh, to explain that, it's actually a a type of brain activity wave that occurs 300 milliseconds after a stimulus presentation. And that brain wave is associated with how you are processing the stimulus and how you are remembering the rules of the task in order to provide a correct answer. And what we saw was with the caffeine mountains, we were able to uphold the amplitude of that uh, specific electroencephalographic feature and by upholding that specific uh, amplitude eventually we also were able to uh, postpone the occurrence of subjective mental fatigue but also uh, uh, objective mental fatigue because also the performance on the cognitive task was better with the caffeine markings with the real markings compared to the placebo markings so also in this study we had two situations they did once the 90 minutes stroop task with the caffeine markings and they did it once with the placebo markings um which was yeah something without an active substance in it and with that placebo markings they were more mentally fatigued and they were also making more mistakes towards the end of the 90 minute task so um yeah, that's something that we found was uh, was possible to to counteract mental fatigue, and has also been confirmed by other studies. So, so this was a study. It was like measuring the effects of a specific caffeine mouth rinse, and then how that would, that would affect their their mental performance. Yeah, gotcha. And then you mentioned about smells uh, 
as well, like what kind of smells or odors are good for uh, for performance or for, I guess, staving off fatigue? Uh, so the smells that um, have been used are, yeah, it's not, the, it's a specific, um, yeah, how would you say, a specific uh, type of, 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 uh, of, 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 of substract, but it, uh, it's always described in terms of it's a, um, a sweet smell or a smell that uh, the participants liked. Um, so it, it differs. Uh, sometimes it's it's the sweet smell, and sometimes it's a smell that uh, was uh, was chosen based on the, the participants' preference. But um, it's always something that um, that they uh, associated uh, with uh, something uh, pleasant. So a pleasant smell, let's say. And this smell eventually also results in. Uh, yeah, I didn't do the research, uh, and I should look into it into more uh, more detail to to uh, to be able to confirm it. But I guess um, that that kind of countermeasure also um, affects brain activity in such a way that it's able to uh, to postpone the occurrence of mental fatigue uh, in that way. So that the, the 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 mechanism of action is also that the neurons that are located within the nose have their connection with the brain and that immediate connection with the brain eventually results in alterations that can postpone mental fatigue. Wow. wow very interesting. I, I can't wait to, to see a chess tournament where people uh, don't eat their biscuits, but just sniff them and they don't drink the coffee, but they spit it out like in a wine tasting environment. <laughs> <laughs> that that, that's it actually yeah of course we did it in, in a research context and and therefore it was necessary to, to only rinse it because we only wanted that that immediate effect on the brain but of course when you drink a coffee you automatically also swallow sure. it within your mouth or you, you rinse it within your mouth so each time that you drink the coffee you're actually already mouth rinsing caffeine and already have the acute effect and then if you are also ingesting it that's actually the double effect because yeah, with ingesting caffeine, you know that 30 minutes up to 90 minutes after ingesting it, that it will be, uh, yeah, that will have entered your uh, bloodstream and that eventually will also enter your, your brain. And caffeine is known to, uh, to counteract uh, adenosine accumulation. Uh, and adenosine accumulation is an important, uh, yeah, it's not a neurotransmitter, but it looks like a neurotransmitter in the brain. And it's actually counteracted by, uh, by caffeine. So uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's it's a known mechanism to counteract mental fatigue for sure. Ingesting caffeine. Yeah, yeah, of course. That's I mean, that's the one everyone everyone jumps to. <laughs> it's the simplest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, yeah, we can think of caffeine as like an uh, exogenous um, uh, help. Um, how about the use of another uh, substance like creatine? Um, if I'm not mistaken, you've you've uh, you've done a study yourself about the effect of um, creatine on mental fatigue, uh, and, and you showed that it was uh, an improvement of a placebo. Um, could you like talk to us uh, a little bit about um, the the role of creatine in the brain, and 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 your thoughts on like the use of uh, creatine supplementation for for chess players? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So actually, the study uh, with creatine supplementation um, was performed close to the end of my PhD because then um, we wanted to look at whether mental fatigue eventually occurs uh, due to uh, 
uh, an energy or, or yeah, an energy mechanism, let's say, so that mental fatigue is actually related towards uh, your brain getting tired and getting out of uh, out of energy. Um, and the hypothesis with creatine supplementation was that, yeah, it's actually already suggested that when your neurons are working, um, yeah, they are firing a lot, of course, and, and with that uh, excitement, uh, eventually they would also produce adenosine. Um, and like already mentioned, it's eventually this accumulation of adenosine that is put forward as the main factor of the occurrence of mental fatigue in the brain. Um, and it's actually uh, yeah, thought that this uh, output of adenosine of your neurons um, is related or is, 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 um, is meant to be uh, a feedback signal for your brain to say, okay, look out, we're running out of energy here. Um, and adenosine eventually will impact your neurons in that way that it will uh, decrease the excitement. So it will decrease the excit ex excitatory neurotransmission um, and it will yeah, slow down your brain, let's say. Um, so if it is a feedback signal from your brain to your brain to say, hey, watch out, we are running out of fuel here, then we might be able to postpone the occurrence of that feedback signal by providing more energy to your brain. And one of the energy mechanisms of our body is known to be uh, related to, to creatine. Um, and therefore, the supplementation of creatine might result in higher uh, brain glycogen storage storages that could eventually postpone this occurrence of that feedback signal and, and the accumulation of adenosine. And we're unsure whether this was eventually the mechanism behind our findings because we were unable to, to track it during our study. Uh, we only tracked um, yeah, the performance outcome. So we only checked whether creatine supplementation eventually was able to positively impact uh, cognitive and physical performance. And eventually we were able to find that, uh, again, during the 90-minute stroke task, this creatine supplementation or positively impacted the occurrence of mental fatigue compared to uh, the, the placebo supplementation. So this might provide evidence for the mechanisms that I just explained. We're unsure about the mechanism, but this is one of the, or this is the hypothesis that we put forward in, in the study. Um, and, and, then, and then the application for, for chess players to really uh, apply it within, the, within a chess game, I would say, uh, or I would like to do more research. Um, I, I wouldn't uh, recommend it right now, although I don't think there is any uh, problem with it. Um, it's, it's taken by a lot of, uh, or within a lot of areas, uh, and it's, it's, it's been found to be, to be safe to be used. Um, but then again, I would, I would only recommend it if I can perform um, some, some additional research to be completely sure about the mechanism that we can expect. And, and what is the best way of, of, um, of giving it? Because now we only evaluated a seven-day supplementation. Uh, while it might be, be better to, to do a longer supplementation or to do a short, shorter supplementation, although that would surprise me. But um, yeah, there are too many factors that I that I am unsure about at this time to, to really uh, recommend it as a as a go-to for uh, for chess players at this time. But it, it it could be promising, and it's it's I think worth it to to keep an eye on it, uh, and uh, in order to to have the marginal gains, uh, like Ineos would say. Great, and um, just just um, question because you mentioned um, 
also the words of um, um, uh, exertion and um, uh, um, sorry, um, the um, in terms of like uh, energy use of your brain, um, because of course, if you're in a physically uh, uh, physical task, like there's clear energy use from uh, from your muscle, but is there like an extra energy use uh, when you're focused on a task, or is it like part of this effect of um, okay, you have this buildup of adenosine, and and in a way, your brain uh, makes you tired and makes you stop, whether you're like having an end, a, a mental or a physical, but uh, you're not actually using the energy. Uh, when you're doing the mental task, would that be fair? I'm not sure whether I completely understood your question. But um, I, I I would say that uh, yeah, be it during a cognitive task, be it during a physical task, the more you're focused, the more you are engaged, the more you're committing with your brain towards a certain task, and the more neurons you are um, directing towards being uh, yeah on that task and, and working in order to provide the correct decisions or, or the most uh, uh, the most you know, the, the best decisions for that situation that you're in be it during a cognitive task be it during a physical task so there i would say that the more focus yeah okay the the higher the amount of neurons that is working for that specific performance task and the higher the possibility that uh, an eventual um yeah, drop in, in energy or in, in energy resources occurs and eventually might result in um, in the occurrence of, uh, of mental fatigue. Yeah, it's just uh, in, in there was this, uh, this claim at some point that uh, chess um, was like using uh, an absolute insane amount of, uh, of calories. And um, even though there's like, you know, people have done actual measurements in labs, um, it, it's basically the, the number has made its way into into the chess law and uh, always like uh, comes up as like oh yeah the brain uses like you know thousands and thousands of of, of calories uh, um, and um, yeah it's just uh, it's just uh, it's just a, a number that's uh, that's difficult to uh, to kill so to speak. Um, uh, great. Um, is uh, one question that um, I, I think uh, I'm really uh, fascinated is like we know a lot physiologically in terms of like uh, you know how to grow because uh, if we uh, exert ourselves, there's a stimulus on the body, and then the body is going to rebuild itself, you know, uh, faster, stronger, and if we do, um, how can we? what do we know about the brain itself? Um, if we do something that is like gonna be a big um, learning stimulus, right? Obviously, okay, there's this buildup of adenosine and then like, if we have a night of sleep, uh, we will like, uh, there's gonna be like some special memory storage that happens during the sleep. Uh, and there's, uh, of course, this um, adenosine is gonna be cleared out. But does that mean that we are like fully good to go? the next day or can it be that the brain can take okay i was really exhausted yesterday i will need like three four days before i can have another strong session what what do you think 
Well, I think that could certainly be the case. Um, that you need more than one night of good sleep in order to recover from from a really heavy session. Uh, that uh, that could certainly be the case. Um, the more strenuous, the more it will have affected your brain, and and more time it will take your brain in order to uh, to be uh, at the top of its game again. Um, to really give a time indication about that is. Uh, it's difficult and also uh, I understand your question because it's a really interesting one and it intrigues me as well. We know yeah, way more better how to train our bodies um, uh, in, in terms of physical performance, but in terms of cognitive performance, it's way more difficult and way more complex in order to know what is now the best time or, or the best way of training our brain in order to be as good good as possible uh, yeah, and, and, and prepared to the max. Uh, and that's something, um, yeah, where some insights will will come uh, from the mental fatigue research in, in in sports performance as well, because uh, yeah, uh, not so long ago, um, one of my former colleagues, uh, Chiara Gattoni, together with her and and my uh, promoter Samuel Marcoa, uh, published a case study about the usage of, of actually uh, sleep deprivation in order to counteract the negative effects of sleep loss on on, uh, on physical performance. So actually they create a situation in which you are more mentally fatigued um, and, and by training within that situation of, of mental fatigue, they uh, hope to trigger adaptations or, or training effects that make you more resistant towards the negative effects of mental fatigue and that might also reduce the time it takes you to recover from such a heavy session um, for example, uh, yeah, and in which you don't expect to recover for one night, and and you would need it because it. Uh, and, uh, I don't know in the chess competition, but is there a game every day? Do you? Yeah, it, usually you're playing yeah. every every day. Sometimes um, two games per day, which could be yeah. like five to six hours per game. So there, it's important that your recovery time is, is as short as possible. So those those training techniques could also be be valuable for uh, for chess players as well that that, that really push themselves in training uh, and maybe also apply uh, those extreme techniques such as sleep deprivation uh, in order to to perform in a in a really mentally fatigued situation and and train themselves. Um, but of course. Uh, and way more than creatine supplementation that's still in its infancy. And the research about that is, is, is not, uh, not enough yet. But there are some indications that it might be a, a valuable technique, if correctly applied, of course, um, that, uh, that it, could, it could give some, some positive effect. Yeah, so, you know, there is this um, advice that is sometimes given out by trainers um, for players to kind of work on their their chest or do some difficult like calculation uh, exercises late at night when they're specifically tired in order to kind of train themselves to be able to work hard at the board even though they're like physically tired mentally tired and and so on so is that something you think that is actually uh useful in terms of improving someone's mental fatigue well it closely relates to the story that i just told so my answer would be it's certainly worthwhile to look further into it and and of course it's also an individual thing if your player gets even more tired out of it and the next day uh, he or she can't train at at the pace or at the level that you would like to then of course it's 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 uh, it's a disadvantage 
But if the individual eventually perceives it as as, as being good and, and giving him or her more confidence, then it could certainly be worthwhile to, to check it out. I think in general, it, it could be a technique that uh, that might help to improve your uh, your mental fatigue resistance during long and, and heavy games. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. So over time, it, you you could see someone really improving their their performance if they kind of train like that regularly and then like recovered and and try to train a little bit a little bit harder each time. Yeah, yeah. Or or also because in 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 physical uh, in sports performance, uh, let's say uh, there is now also research on uh, training your mental fatigue resistance by combining a physical physical task with. Uh, uh, with a cognitive task. So while they are performing their uh, cycling on the cycle ergometer, um, they need to perform a, a cognitive task as well. So they are doing actually a dual task. And what they found was they compared this with a training group that only did the physical performance or the physical trainings without the combination with the cognitive task. And the people that made the combination, so the physical training plus the cognitive task, meanwhile, they improved their physical performance, uh, yeah, more compared to the only physical training group so something similar might also be the case within uh, uh, yeah the other way around let's say if you combine playing chess while you are cycling then that might eventually also result in more mental fatigue resistance and it could also improve your uh, your your physical abilities in the meantime so that could be actually uh, yeah two times uh, an advantage for uh, for those players that's funny. I actually I have done like kind of simpler tactical puzzles while like on the bike or in between like sets working out um, just for fun, really. <laughs> and I don't know, I it definitely it definitely felt very hard, both on the I would say more on the mental side, because like I'm not used to like thinking about chess when like my heart is like racing. And But um, yeah, it's interesting that so you're saying that could also be helpful more for the, the physical performance. Yeah, it's already, there are some, some two or three studies that are published about it that indicate that the combination of, of the physical task with the cognitive task eventually results in, in, yeah, in physical performance improvements better compared to only training physically. So, uh, so yeah, what I'm saying is that it, it could also be the case for, uh, for cognitive performance uh, or for, for chess performance that when you combine your, your ch- or some chess sessions with a physical task, um, that that could eventually improve your chess performance even more compared to only training your chess without adding physical performance to it. Um, and it might, a, a possible mechanism of action um, could be that, yeah, of course, you are doing a, a dual task, so you need to divide the attention of your brain towards two things. You need to focus on the physical task and you need to focus on the cognitive task. So eventually, uh, you, you have less brain power left to perform the chess task compared to a situation where you would only perform the chess task. So right. eventually you train yourself to be as efficient with less brain power compared to uh, yeah, to the to the only chess situation. That, that would be brilliant. Um, if that, was, that could be done. I mean, that, <laughs> that, would, that would be awesome. <laughs> that's, that's fascinating. Um, and yeah, Joe, and if you can give us uh, not only for... Um, uh, this um, this uh, studies of like pushing your brain when you're already tired, and also the general how to tackle mental fatigue. If you can, uh, uh, we'll put the links, I guess, in the in the show notes, right, Christian? Um, 
Okay, uh, I think we, we we are close to wrapping up. I just have like a, a couple of uh, uh, a few final questions. I mean, this this conversation's been uh, uh, fantastic. I mean, uh, uh, absolutely uh, a fantastic uh, fantastic subject. Um, I guess we we've talked a lot of uh, uh, subjects uh, already, but. Uh, what general advice would you would you give a, a chess player that wants to uh, improve? You know, his um, his, uh, his mental endurance, his focus, and 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 concentration. Yeah, what I would do is um, avoid mental fatigue and avoid it by uh, <laughs> by uh, a combination of of countermeasures. Let's say uh, first of all, yeah, try to 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 be as fresh as possible at the start of your game. Um, during your game, yeah, include some tactics or some countermeasures, like, for example, uh, yeah, drinking your coffee, rinsing it in your mouth. Um, but also the other the odors might be something uh, worthwhile to check into. And then after your game, be sure uh, to uh, to attend to uh, your sleep and and to really uh, try and, and and have a good night of sleep because that's also crucial for your uh, for your recovery from uh, mentally fatiguing tasks. And then. On the other hand, so those are actually the countermeasures that are discussed within the review that will come out soon. And then on the other hand, also, yeah, keep an eye on the training um, literature or on the mental fatigue training literature that is currently being published. So it, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's coming out more and more uh, that yeah, some combinations of physical and cognitive tasks might be uh, valuable in order to improve physical and maybe also cognitive performance in a better way compared to only uh, training cognitively or only training physically. Um, so that might be something, uh, uh, yeah, valuable to to keep an eye on for uh, for trainers and for players. Fantastic. Um, and and so, how do you think? Um, what do you think are the next avenues of research in uh, in the in the field of mental fatigue? Yeah, for for us, uh, when I'm speaking for our research line now, then I'm currently guiding to. Uh, or three PhD students, actually. We're, we're also on the topic of mental fatigue and, and physical performance. Um, and with them, we are really looking into the brain and the brain mechanisms of mental fatigue because we would really like to tweak out which specific aspects of, of the brain functioning are affected by mental fatigue and, and how we can use that knowledge in order to develop countermeasures that are as effective as possible to counteract mental fatigue. So what we are now doing, for example, is setting up a study in, in which we measure brain activity while cycling which is challenging because of course the head can't be moved too much because that gives noise to to the signal that we are measuring um and and what we are looking there for is is the story that i actually explained on beforehand is like we would like to measure the signal that leaves the brain towards the muscle and that says okay you need to contract now and we would like to uh, to express that signal in terms of an amplitude and then we would like to compare that amplitude for mentally fatigued uh, individuals compared to non-mentally fatigued individuals. And if we find that that amplitude differs between those two individuals, then we can say something about the, the hypothesis that indeed it's uh, the, the motor command or, or the, the central command that eventually is related towards the perception of effort. And that is also explaining why mentally fatigued participants are uh, perceiving a uh, similar kind of physical task more effortful compared to non-mental fatigue participants. So, uh, so for us, that's actually currently the the yeah the main research avenue um, 
of, uh, of mental fatigue. And also tweaking out the inter-individual differences that exist in, okay, somebody can be really resistant towards mental fatigue while another one can be extremely vulnerable. Why is that the case? Which are the factors that are in play that, that eventually uh, decide whether someone is vulnerable or, or uh, resistant? And I think that knowledge will, uh, will improve uh, our understanding of mental fatigue a lot and eventually, hopefully, also the, the techniques and, uh, and the countermeasures that we can use to counteract it. Uh, you don't, I had a quick question, if you don't mind. We were actually talking about this uh, yesterday, and, and folks were wondering if um, it's, it's useful to kind of, you know, like taper down your mental performance leading up to an event. Um, to give your brain some time, like some resting time. Is there any, do you have any knowledge or, or thoughts on that? It's a very interesting question. I don't have any any knowledge on that. I know that it's the case uh, or it's the guideline within uh, sport. So within physical performance, uh, it's crucial to include that taper period before uh, yeah, uh, committing to, to a really optimal physical performance. Uh, so... Yeah, of course, it's not a one-on-one -on -one relation. Uh, cognitive tasks are not the same as physical tasks, so there will be some some differences between them. But eventually, it doesn't seem like such a strange idea to me that a taper period might come in handy uh, in order to improve your performance for a really crucial event. So, uh, no, uh, I think it's it's an interesting idea that. Uh, certainly should be looked at uh, in order to yeah, to provide some insight in it. I'm, I'm unaware of any research published about it, but uh, yeah, if so, then I would be uh, yeah, interested to, to, to get to know uh, of it and then to read it for sure. Hey, cool. Um, well, uh, Benji, I think, did you have any more questions? Uh, no, I don't have a, I don't have any more questions. I've been, uh, I've been absolutely, uh, are blown away by um, by by Joanne's like uh, depths of uh, of knowledge and and uh, and and this is like super interesting and relevant for for all chess players really of of any level. Uh, you this uh, this is uh, this is relevant. So um, uh, I guess uh, and thank you, Kostya, for uh, for letting me uh, co-host. I guess your regular co-host will be back uh, on the next dojo. Um, and maybe we can uh, um, ask uh, Jeroen, like, if people want to, maybe, uh, do you have like social media, or if they, people want to follow your research, what's the best uh, uh, avenue to stay in touch with the latest developments? Uh, yeah, uh, I have a Twitter account, um, which I can say, of course, but I can also send it to Costa, and then you can share it. Yeah, that'd be great. Via, I can share it with yeah. the with the chat. Yeah, and, and with, yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we put it in the show notes as well. Um, yeah, uh, I'll share some uh, yeah Twitter and uh, or, or LinkedIn. Uh, I think would be the best uh, yeah, places to follow me and, and to to check in on updates of uh, of the research that I'm currently performing. Yeah, people can Fantastic. probably uh, Google you as well. Uh, yeah, for sure, they'll they'll find me. Probably. Awesome. Uh, yeah, Ron, I, I wanted to thank you as well for coming on and uh, giving a really interesting. Uh, uh, discussion and also just for you know doing the the research work that you're doing. I feel like it's going to be eventually extremely useful to to many many not just chess players but probably just people <laughs> in general. But as a chess player specifically, I would thank you for working on this topic because <laughs> it'd be great to know how to improve our our performance and in, uh, in the long run. 
not a problem at all. I want to thank uh, both of you for uh, for inviting me and for this really interesting discussion and, and the interesting questions. Uh, yeah, one of the main reasons why I, I like to do these kind of sessions is because, of course, you're doing research and that's a lot of times uh, behind your uh, laptop. So it's it's great to also try to apply it once to real life situations and uh, and and try to translate it to to a, a general audience or a chess audience. So uh, it was great uh, great having a talk with you. Awesome. All right, y'all. That'll do it. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Catch you guys uh, next time. Fantastic. Thanks, Jorun. Thanks, Kostya. Thanks, Benji. See you guys.